action. Welcome to Torn Stumps, a trash movie podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcast at Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk. And Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. And we're back. Season four. Season four. Come on, season four. Cuatro, cuatro. Let's get faunering. <laughs> <laughs> this season, we're going to deep dive into the films of Quentin Tarantino. We're only going to concentrate on the ones that he's directed. So there's no Desperado. There's no... From Dust Till Dawn. Dust Till Dawn, not Desperado. True Romance. True Romance. Yeah, Desperado. That was no, Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. Well, it's from that same period, isn't oh, it? When do they were research. both like, they were like shit hot. Yeah. But he also did um, Natural Born Killers, didn't he? Wrote it, yeah. He wrote it, yeah, 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 yeah. But we're only going on the films he directed, starting with his 1992 debut, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs is the 1992 debut, as we have said, of Tarantino. It follows a gang of heist criminals, all named after a different colour. And they are on a job to rob a big shot jewellers who have taken a consignment of diamonds or something, I think. Yeah, something to do with diamonds. Yeah. And so they're doing that for this guy called Joe, who's this linchpin criminal dude. And something goes wrong. And we basically see the aftermath of this heist that has gone wrong. Robert. I hadn't seen it for about 20 years, maybe more. Yeah, same. I think... The first time I saw it, I was maybe 17. And my one of my best friends at the time, Ed, he kept going on about this film. Oh, you've got to see Rose of Our Dogs. You've got to watch it. It's fucking amazing. Was he a thug? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> no, he wasn't. Hi, <laughs> hi Ed. Um, and he lent me his VHS. Oh, my God. I know. Old school. Hello. Which actually I think Quentin Tarantino would be really happy about. Yeah, I think he would. Because of his background in working as a video store clerk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I watched it at that age and I liked it. I didn't love it. You know, 17, I was watching Scream and I know what he did last summer and yeah. um, Totem on the Babysitter's Dead and stuff like that. So Reservoir Dogs is very much outside of my wheelhouse of films that I would generally sit down to watch. Yeah. And I haven't touched it since. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I still remembered a lot of it because you know there's not much to remember it's very contained yes it's got those short sharp shocks that happen periodically throughout that mm-hmm. really do stay with you and yeah it's just a, a a great first film for this guy who's clearly got a vision and he's not afraid to kind of go for it yeah exactly and the, the thing that sticks out for me immediately is the cast is genuinely phenomenal yeah he obviously caught quinton obviously caught these i wouldn't say harvey Keitel is included in this list but he's obviously caught michael madsen steve buscemi and tim roth at just the point that they were just breaking yeah and he's used them so incredibly well it's as if he's known them for ever because he really writes to their strength yeah, right from that opening scene where they're discussing Like a Virgin by Madonna, mm-hmm. you get a real sense of exactly who each one of these guys is from the off. Like yes. within within minutes, you're like, right, so that's the the cynical guy, that's the blabbermouth who won't shut up. You know, you get all of them straight off the bat. So you know you don't really need that, you know, from then on it's just 
it's just plot it's just them talking it's just really tight lean character driven stuff how do you feel about quinton's performance he's barely in it is he i love that he kills himself off (laughs) he's like he has that he starts off the film talking about the song doesn't he he's like oh it's about big dicks and stuff yeah but then he is then killed off which is obviously a great idea because it means he can concentrate on directing the film exactly um it only really jars, you know, when you know that's Quentin Tarantino. I think if you were watching it, not perhaps aware of who he is, that he was the director and writer. But why would that jar? Because then it becomes, oh, it's a personality or it's a, it's a kind of showing off kind of thing. Or I don't know. It's, Maybe in hindsight, because he essentially film. plays himself. Yeah. He essentially plays himself. But he plays himself, I think, really well. Well, like a version of himself. Well, he, he's not a bad actor. No. You know, he, I think he's proven time and time again that he can hold the screen with people who are considered acting greats. Mm. George Clooney, Harvey Keitel. Um, he had a cameo in Django, didn't he? Which we'll see later on. Oh, I've forgotten about that. And he was also in Planet Terror. Yeah. Opposite Bruce Willis. His best he friend. Is, he is a really good actor but he only ever plays Quentin Tarantino he, he's yeah because he's got such a specific look like he doesn't look like a an actor necessarily he doesn't look like that Hollywood heartthrob or um you know the the mysterious whatever he just looks like Quentin Tarantino he's yeah. got such a, a memorable face and voice and voice as no well one like, talks like him he's yeah he well his characters obviously talk like him but he's so machine gun mouth he's fast he talks over himself in a weird way yeah and i'm actually glad that he didn't get to play mr pink which was his original um plan because um i think that that maybe would have slightly derailed the film to have him well i don't think he has the same physicality as steve buscemi no because steve buscemi has this really kind of reptilian thing about him he's like a little sniveling weasel yeah exactly and that's, like a, that's a kind of what you want weasel. yeah like that i mean that's what you want from that character just because of the things that he does and the attitudes he has towards you know people who work in the diner or thinking that there's a rat yeah he is a sniveling little snake and i don't think quentin tarantino would have had that same physicality no, and also Quentin Tarantino seems like such a smart ass and like such a wise guy. Like he's always right. Yes. Whereas Mr. Pink, he thinks he's right, but he isn't necessarily right. So Well, he's right in the sense that there's a rat. He just yeah. doesn't know who it is. Yeah. That's true. And I'd forgotten who the rat was. So when he Really? Said, I'd completely <laughs> forgotten. Because him and um, Tim Roth, for some reason, in my head just get confused okay i guess because they're wearing the exact same outfit and have similar hair well did you think that he mr pink steve buscemi was the rat yeah so i was like ooh, that's clever so he's bringing it up as the one who is bringing up the idea of there being a rat hiding in plain sight exactly yeah so yeah it actually turns out to be tim roth exactly now what did you think of the relationship with tim roth's character and harvey keitel's character it was um i think it was actually quite moving you don't really know why Mr. White feels so protective and he has that father figure thing going on for Mr. Pink. What? Sorry, Mr. Yeah. Or- Hang on, is it Mr. Orange, isn't Mr. it? Mr. Orange, yeah. yeah. What did I say? Did I say pink? No, I did. Oh, you did. <laughs> Keep up. So many colours. 
Um, it's like gay pride. You don't, yeah, you don't really, you're not, never given any reason why he feels that way. Like, you don't know if he lost a son once or he was looking to be a father figure to somebody. But it's, I thought it was actually quite touching. And it, that, that becomes the emotional through line from the start to the end of the film. Because the first yeah. time we see um, anything post-heist... It's them in the car. You're going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Say the words with me. You're going to be okay. <laughs> and he's holding his hand. Um, Moves around a lot for someone that's been shot in the stomach. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, he's alive a lot for someone that's been shot in the stomach. It's a really upsetting performance. It's almost, it was almost unbearable to watch. Because mm. look, he, he really digs into that discomfort and that hysteric of, of the panic that kicks yeah, the, in. the panic of like I'm gonna fucking die and you're gonna be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, see, I need people going to, around in my head. That I need people to tell me that when I'm on the tube in rush hour. <laughs> it's gonna be you're okay. Tell the words. I the, thought maybe they were father and son or uh, father-in-law and son-in-law. Oh yeah, because you yeah, I mean clearly they aren't because you find out stuff later on. But, yes, you do find something um, out later on. But when he's dragging him into the, the warehouse to start with, she's, mm. he, he's saying, she had a baby. And I'm yeah. thinking, well, who's had a baby? Are they talking about Someone who got the shot. wife, the, 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 the mutual <laughs> wife and daughter? I think you were slightly over... They were talking about the, the heist. I see, but you don't know that <laughs> until later because you don't know why he's in that condition. Oh, yeah. You don't learn why he's been... Who shot him? But Until much, 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 much later, almost towards the end. Oh, because they don't talk about the heist in the opening scene, do they? No, they're just... I just knew that. Trying from... to say that he's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's what gives the film its most uh, powerful emotional mo- moments is when you discover that this Mr. Orange is the cop and you're like, oh, fuck, like, what's that going to mean for what's going to happen between him and Mr. White. Yeah. And that's, that becomes the really, the, mo- the you know, the tension, the, the, the thing that the tension really hangs on. Um, and that's where the film ends is that coming to its natural conclusion, I guess, depending on, I mean, you don't really know if Mr. White shot him or not. I think he did. It's suggested very heavily, but you don't see it. Well, it's suggested that, no, you don't see it. But then again, you don't see the police coming in at the end. It's all mm. on... He's Robert imagining Hytel. it. Or maybe, maybe it's a American Psycho <laughs> He's lost situation. enough blood, yeah. But it, um, it's all on Harvey Keitel and Tim Roth. Yeah, it really is. There like... are no police. Well, there are, but you don't see them. There's no, no one was hired to play the police. No, but the thing is, like, if he shot Mr. Orange, the way that they were lying with Mr. Orange's head against his thigh, yeah. he would have shot himself in the leg at the same time. Well, he'd also been shot. Yeah, Harvey but Keitel. you'd think that he'd be like, well, I'm... I might survive, so I'm, I'm not going to shoot myself again. Just no, to... but he gets shot by the police and he falls out of frame. Yeah, but I suppose so. I suppose he and knows then it, by then. And they roll credits. Yeah. I found it really touching. And like when, um, when Mr. Orange is first laid down on that, that kind of the ramp. incline ramp thing. Yeah. And he's just like, can you, <laughs> hold, writer. <laughs> can you hold me? Aww. Yeah. It's like, oh, see, that's why I thought maybe it was a father and son thing or a father-in-law son and father was it father-in-law and son-in-law thing yeah but maybe because that... it is very very touching and he's not like that harvey Keitel, mr white he's not like that with any of the others he's very short with them he's essentially trying to take control he is giving them orders yeah 
But I think this this kind of situation forces you into maybe a certain way of behaving that you wouldn't necessarily you know it's a very heightened situation yeah and when you've got this young kid that you're maybe a bit fond of because they have worked together have previously they work, have they worked together previously or have they just been okay they bonded they on this this job like staking out the various places yeah it was like a what's what do you have at work when it's like a bonding exercise like a bonding exercise is that what it is <laughs> i wouldn't know i'm freelance what? trust games yeah trust games and all that so kind they of were stuff. standing in the parking lot and they're just sort of falling back <laughs> on each other <laughs> yeah one of them was holding a knife yeah that's how it goes right i think one of the reasons i haven't really gone back to rewatch it in the past 20 something years is that is is mr orange and just how uncomfortable it is to watch him lying in that pool of blood. His own blood. For basically the entire film. Yeah. Like this film does not hold back on the gore and the violence and all, you know, it's so no, it, full on. it doesn't. And, and ignoring all the films that, that come next, mm. just going on this film, does Quentin Tarantino really enjoy movie violence? Well, he he says that he does it to have an effect on the audience he knows that violence is a powerful way of generating a a response in the audience and so i think that if he's writing a film about down dirty dogs who are are gonna blow each other's heads off if necessary he's not going to hold back on that because that wouldn't be authentic to the story um i don't know if, if he likes violence i don't know if he's particularly a, a particularly violent person i know that he beat up um the was it the producer of uh, natural born killers who did he he like beat him up in the street um or like smacked him over the head or something in the street okay and had to like pay him off uh, 450 pound dollars or something is that all um because like, this guy filed a five million dollar lawsuit against tarantino and all he did was pay 450 dollars yeah i think so 450 thousand maybe maybe it was that but because basically he wanted something something happened with natural born killers where Tarantino was meant to give a story credit, he didn't, and then he kind of like didn't care and disowned the film. And then this book was written by Jane Hampshire called Killer Instinct, which I think is a tell all thing about the film. Yeah. And it made Tarantino really angry and all this kicked off. But anyway. Wow. Um clearly he makes violent films. And Yeah, there's violence in every one, single one of his films. He doesn't Yeah. You know, his films are primarily about very violent people, but in Reservoir Dogs, Michael Manson's character, Mr. Blonde, he's very charismatic and he's clearly meant to be the eye candy. He's clearly mm. meant to be the one that we are all, straight or gay, meant to fancy. And he's the one who tortures the cop. Yeah. He so, really is. Like, Mr. White is correct. Mr. Blonde is a psychopath. He's doing it for all for his own entertainment and his own enjoyment. But are we meant to... Are we meant to be with Mr. Blonde while he does this this little dance with the with the blade to Steeler's wheel and then cuts the, the cop's ear off? Are we meant to be sympathizing with him? Are we meant to be liking him? Is it a, <laughs> is it a, is it a case of Ameri- like American Psycho where we find Patrick Bateman so incredibly what's the word? interesting and we like him so much that we're okay with the things that he's doing i think it's just really challenging the audience because michael madsen is gorgeous in this like his eyebrow movement is ridiculous he's (laughs) got this thing no he's got this thing where he turns his head down 
so that he can look up with his eyebrows kind of arched and moving yeah. around a bit. And he's it gives, incredibly good looking. He has this like smoldering James Dean thing that he does. Yeah. And he does it in everything. He did it in Thelma and Louise as well. I'm pretty sure he even does it in Free Willy. I forgot he was in Thelma and Louise. Yeah, he, he does the exact same and look. He's in Species too. I love Species. Not the second one. Uh, the second one's all right. The first one's, first one's the best. No, so yeah, I think that be- <laughs> because he is like this really attractive, charming guy, to then have him be an absolute psychopath who will cut off a cop's ear and what but doing it to a really catchy song but it's the way in which he does it he just doesn't go i'm gonna cut your ear off it's this whole because he's a psychopath but but it doesn't serve anything to the plot is what i'm saying so if you look at it in the context of the the film yes he's a psychopath so he's dancing he's having fun with it but what is quentin tarantino using that section for to tell us that he's a psychopath we know he's a psychopath he fucked up the diamond heist well, it's show, don't tell. So he's showing us just how much of a psychopath this guy is. But then Previ- Previously, they've only told us that. But then he doesn't show us, does he? Because he moves the camera away from the, the, the climax of that scene, or the dance rather, where he cuts the ear off. But he's already shown us what he's going to do when we see the aftermath. He doesn't need to show us every but, single thing. Mm, I think he does. I think mm. he does, because otherwise that scene's just that, you know, it, it doesn't quite get all the stars. It doesn't quite get all the praise it's not 100 percent. he's chickened out and not shown us because he's he's not shy in then showing us mr orange blow mr blonde away yeah but there's something different about a gun and someone having their ear sliced off it's different it's more it's more savage and it's it's yes and he likes savage violence yeah the film, I'm trying to think what... The film, post-credits, the, like the, the, the true first scene of the film is Tim Roth covered in blood in the back of a car. Yeah, but we didn't, get, get him, we didn't see him get shot. Until that. later. Yeah, until later. So we do see him get shot. But I think it's still different. I think when someone's got a scalpel to someone's knife and they're taking their ear off, it's very, very different to having a bullet. Like a bullet is essentially invisible. You don't actually see the bullet going in. No, but you see so, the effect and you see the blood and you see... But you, you see the effect of Mr. Blonde cutting off the guy's ear as well. No, you see the, 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 um, like the squibs exploding on Michael Madsen's body. So you see, that's the climax of that mm. scene. You see the bullets hitting. Of course, we're not going to see a bullet. It's too fast. But it's just different. If you want to get technical... It's just different. They're shooting at a, right, a different shutter speed. Oh, yeah, I went there. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we... He, it's, so it's, do you it's, think it's, we it's should just, It's it. just bizarre that he chooses to show us all this violence over here, but the one thing he doesn't choose to show us is potentially the one thing that maybe might have cost too much money to show. Well, they did shoot a more violent and bloody version of that, where there was actual spurting of blood and all that kind of stuff. But he chose not to show that. I think because he knew that it had enough power on its own without needing to resort to glorifying the violence. Is Quentin Tarantino a racist, a homophobe, a misogynist? I know all these questions come up repeatedly. And it's a real... All I can say is that watching it now... And, and listening to the way the characters talk about black people and actually specifically black women. Like there's a, there's a running thing in a car scene where they talk about the difference between white women and black women. Watching it now, it made me feel incredibly uncomfortable. Um, but is it a device that he's using to do that? I mean, it probably wasn't... Yeah. To say that you feel uncomfortable now, I don't think means that you would not have felt uncomfortable then. Yeah. We're not... 
you know, we, people always say we're in hashtag woke times, but, mm. you know, we weren't all, you know, shit in caves back in the early 90s. Right, we were exactly. quite intelligent people. Yeah. It's not black and white. It's not a case of saying we weren't woke and now we are woke. People were probably uncomfortable back then. So I kind of feel it's a, potentially it's a device to to get that reaction from the audience. Yeah. And I mean, it could be a like a warts and all thing where if your characters want to have racist discussions, then they can. Mm. Um, I know that Spike Lee had a massive issue with um, Tarantino's use of the N-word, yeah. which he uses a lot repeatedly, especially... And it feels especially uncomfortable in Reservoir Dogs when they are white men because yeah. white men using that word feels and is racist. It's it's a it's an insult and it's uh, you know it's like the you know it's not okay. Yeah. And so later on, when Sam Samuel L. Jackson is using that word in other Tarantino films, it feels different. It still doesn't necessarily feel okay because it's still a white writer telling a black actor to use that word. Does it feel it almost but, slightly legitimizes it? I guess so, but I still don't feel really okay with it. But Tarantino's talked about it. He said, um, as a writer, I demand the right to write any character in that world I want to write. And he says that it's racist not to let him write what he wants to, essentially, as a white man. Yeah. Um, like he says, the Hughes brothers can do that because they're black, but it's racist if I can't just because I'm white, which just opens up this whole debate. But he is writing black characters well not in reservoir dogs he's not but also characters who are either fully or casually racist yeah i mean you can write racists and it's um he's not glorifying them and he's not saying that these are guys that you should have as role models yeah so it does have that to it as well where they're just kind of nasty all the way through i don't know what what do you think about that well, I think it's, I, I just think it's a device. I think it's a case of saying, well, these are my characters. This is how they talk. This is probably how real people of a certain ilk talk. And I'm replicating that for, what, popcorn entertainment. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there is some satisfaction in the fact that they do all end up dead. <laughs> or do they all end up dead? I don't know. I can't remember. But the fact that these... No, no, like, most of them are dead, but one gets away. But does he get away? Who does? Who gets away? Mr. Pink. Oh, yeah. He gets away and he's hidden the diamond somewhere. The one who won't tip. The one who won't tip. Yeah. So racists die, but if you don't tip, you're okay. You can live. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's a good yeah. life lesson. But I think the word entertainment does raise does raise another interesting question because it's like, well, should we really be entertained by, by people who are racist and, um, you know robbers and but i guess you could apply that to anything but yeah films are primarily there to entertain even 12 years a slave which uses the n-word mm. and 12 years a slave black came director out around, black director yes but still it wasn't the only black person on that film mm. but as a piece of as a film that is there to entertain and to earn money at the box office the n-word is used mm. it's like nowadays if if um, you know, a white straight guy in a film starts calling somebody a faggot yeah, or a pifter or any of that stuff. It doesn't have that quite that same visceral reaction, but it still is in that, that same ilk. But it's still a device. It's yeah. still a device to give your character in order to elicit a reaction from the audience. I suppose it depends on if you're making a film about racism 
And so Tarantino isn't making a film about racism with Reservoir Dogs. They're Not just, yet. They're casually racist characters. Yes. Um, they don't have to, they don't answer to their, to their racist views. They don't, they're never held accountable for them. And they don't, um, they don't kind of have any comeuppance directly related to their racism. So that's where it starts to feel a little bit uncomfortable. But, I mean, you could argue it until you're blue in the face, to be honest. Mr. Blue in the face. Exactly, exactly. Where's the moral compass here? Who's the good one? Who's the bad one? Who's the good one? Are there any good guys in this film? Well, I mean, obviously, Mr. Orange, you want to say, is a good one because he's a cop. And he's just doing it undercover to, to expose the bad guys. Is he good, Mr. Orange? Just because he's a cop, does that immediately make him good? Well, we don't know enough about him, really. We know that he likes Silver Surfer <laughs> um, and Fantastic Four, but... I think we're shown his behaviour. Like, does he enjoy the heist? And does he enjoy hanging out with those guys? I think so. Yeah. Because when Mr. Brown, Quentin Tarantino, has crashed the car... He got the worst character named in Mr. Yeah, Brown. Well, and also, Mr. well, Mr. Pink thinks he's got the worst name. Oh, yeah. Um, but when Mr. Brown has crashed the car and Tim Roth's character has stood by him, Harvey Keitel takes a walk to the side, shoots some cops. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then comes back. That would have been the perfect time. Mr. Brown's dying. That would have been the perfect time for Mr. Orange, Tim Roth, to kill Harvey Keitel. Mm. But he doesn't do it. And when they're stealing the next car, he quite happily shoots that woman in the chest. After having been shot. But he could, but no, have, yes. he could have wounded her. He's trained to, you know, wound in the arm, Limit wound in casualty. the leg or something. Yeah. He literally shot her in the chest. She died. Yeah. So I think he was so far undercover that he, 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 was, he was gone. He was loving it. He's like the Donnie Brasco, isn't he? Is that what Donnie Brasco is about? I think so. Johnny Depp goes undercover and just ends up just living it. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it. I haven't either, but that's why. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I gather. But I think Harvey Keitel, he cares for Mr. Orange in a whatever way. And we've discussed that. I think he has morals. Mr. White. I think Mr. White has morals. Being a rat is like the worst possible crime. It's the worst betrayal. Mm. And he truly believes that Mr. Orange is not the rat. So he will stick up for him against the other guys. He doesn't agree with how Mr. Blonde conducts himself. And they, you know, they rub shoulders. There's friction between the two of them. Yeah. He, obviously when he finds out Mr. Orange is the rat, then he takes his revenge. He Mm. kills Mr. Orange. But Mr. Orange is a professional liar. Yeah. He has no honour. No, and it's like, what what has he decided in that moment when Mr. White shoots the cops? Like, has he has he just thought, we need to get to the warehouse so that we can get Joe? Like, there's a bigger question here. There's a bigger thing at stake. And that is getting the, the actual bad guy. Possibly. Is that what he's thinking? Well, I hope so. And because then, then otherwise he's not... He's not a decent character, and then why no. would I root for him on a second watch? Yeah, exactly. Why do you think that? Why do you think he confesses that he's the cop at the end? I don't know. I've been asking myself that question because that's a surefire way to get a bullet in your face. He has no re- no real reason to say that, unless he feels like an in- insane loyalty. Yeah. To Mister White, that he 
he feels well, we're, we're in the pickle here i'm about to die let me confess my sins yeah and my sin is i am the rat i'm the cop let me die with a clear conscience mm. maybe that's an indication that he is quite far gone who shoots who in that final shootout? Because I watched it three times and I still have no idea who shot who. The older guy, Joe, Joe shoots Mr. Orange. Uh, Harvey Keitel shoots Joe. Right. And um, Mr. Orange, I think, shoots... Mr. Orange shoots someone. Yeah, because Mr. Orange has got a gun at oh. um, Sean Penn's brother. Yeah. Uh, nice guy, Eddie. Chris Penn. Chris Penn. And then... They all... Because he's not... Uh, well, they all flop down. Mr. Orange is already on the floor. Uh, Joe, because he's old, kind of lowers himself and then lies down. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to break a hip. It's only a $2 million movie. <laughs> Has the film aged well? I think so. I, the only thing that I really thought was that nowadays there would have been caught on CCTV yeah. about 50 times. Everyone would be filming yeah. on their iPhone. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's, no, there's no getting away. Whereas in the 90s, in the world of freedom, you could commit a crime and just run down the street. And, and no we one, all did. Yeah, no one could do anything about it. I mean, it. we didn't. <laughs> I think if you asked me that question a few years ago, I would say that the film had aged badly. Mm. But I think that 90s aesthetic is coming back into... It's coming back into vogue. Mm. I think it's coming, it's coming back. And it's only recently, the last couple of years, I've realised that the 90s actually has an aesthetic. Oh, God, I know. That's, that's, I've had the same thing. It's, it's weird because yeah. up until you know, a couple of years ago, I would think, well, I can clearly identify what the 70s aesthetic was. Mm. The 80s, definitely. But the 90s, I think we were, even though we were, you know, we're 20 years, 15 years away from the 90s or whatever, it's... I think we still we were still too close to see what it actually looked like, mm. and I think it's beginning to come back, yeah, into into fashion. And yeah. I think part of that is films like this will not necessarily be reassessed, but they will be looked at favorably. Mm. This one's probably an odd one to put into that box because I don't think this film's ever gone away. But other films from the nineties. Don't tell mum the babysitter's dead. Love Things it. like that will suddenly maybe get a Criterion collection re-released because <laughs> they are now part of a period of time that we can now look back on yeah. favorably. Yeah. And I think this film now will have that definitely going for it. But good writing is good writing. Good direction is good direction. And good acting is good acting. Mm. And that's why films like Citizen Kane... And the music as well. The music, Clearly. yeah. But it's like, why, why films like Citizen Kane, Psycho, um, Die Hard, Ferris Bueller, The Godfather, they remain fan favourites because those films are at the top of their game. And I think this, especially for a film straight, pretty much straight out the starting block, mm. I think this is, is, is one of the, the best of that category. And I think it's because it it does something so different to a lot of other films in that this is a heist movie where you never see the heist. Yeah. It's not interested in the heist. I mean, partly, I think for budgetary reasons, they didn't show the heist just because they couldn't afford to stage it. Yes. But also the elimination of the heist means that we actually focus on everything else around it and we focus on the characters and the situations outside of the heist. And actually, they are almost more interesting than a really cleverly planned heist. Yeah. The whole um, structure is, is, is yeah. phenomenal. 
Yeah. The fact that it, it keeps jumping back and forth and it drip feeds us information. Mm. If this was a Scorsese film, this film, Reservoir Dogs, is the last act of a very long three-hour movie. Yeah, absolutely. And it's similar to uh, Sofia Coppola's... Which one was it? Where... No, sorry, not Sophia Coppola. It's similar to Lawrence anyways, where you right. don't see him, you don't see, you don't see Lawrence uh, telling anyone that she is actually a trans woman. Yes. You only see the conversations afterwards. And that, I love that as a device, just like plucking out the melodramatic uh, main event mm. and then just telling us what happens afterwards. I think it's so clever. And Reservoir Dogs is a great example of that. Well, the fallout is usually more interesting than, than the actual yeah. act. It's Unless like that, that extended gunfight scene in Heat. Mm. all because someone fucked up yeah and then we that's the smallest part of the the scene and then we see this amazing gunfight that is just no music just constant boom 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 yeah the only thing that has aged reservoir dogs slightly i think is some of the um the sound design in the warehouse is a bit ropey so when when certain characters are moving around that space too much yeah the mics can't keep up with them and so you get a weird glitch in some of the sound between the characters i guess that's not necessarily to do with the time it was made that's probably just the fact that it was a low budget film and yeah they couldn't afford good mics or they couldn't afford to mic everyone up yeah i love how this is a low budget film that cost what 1.5 million dollars two million dollars yeah insane well for the early 90s that was a low budget film yeah yeah. When most films were forty, fifty million dollars, this yeah. was a this came out of Sundance Labs and managed to scrape up two million dollars for a first timer. Mm. Well, that was Harvey Keitel. He was gonna yes. Tarantino was gonna make it for like three hundred thousand dollars, and then somehow oh through like he sent the script to somebody, they sent it to somebody else, and then it got through to Harvey Keitel's wife, I think, who gave it to him, um, and he read it and loved it, and you know bumped up a ton of cash and the rest is history yes. let's talk about qt grammar quinton tarantino grammar okay so i think from the from the offset black suit white tie white shirts that seems to be prevalent throughout all of his films set in a period when you can have that costume mm. obviously Django slightly different kill bill has it kill bill has Pulp it fiction obviously has it yeah yeah is that because of his love for Hong Kong cinema? That's, yeah. That's very much a Hong Kong thing. 100%. Isn't it? And the, yeah. the final standoff where everyone's pointing a gun at each other yeah. is stolen from some film from Hong Kong. Like Infernal Affairs or something like and that. I think that was a bit later, Infernal Affairs. Oh, was it? That was like 2004. Oh. Yeah. I always thought it was older than that. No, it yeah. was after. It wasn't 80s at all. Oh, okay. Um, obviously, a lot of dialogue. Uh, yep. Yeah, fast that's talking, just, yeah. talking about pop culture references, Yeah. code names. Oh yeah, code names. Yeah. And not necessarily yeah. code names, but um aliases. Yeah. Everyone's got an alias in in things like pop fiction or uh definitely Kill Bill. Yeah. Definitely Inglorious Bastards, which obviously we're gonna come on to. Mm. Racist characters using the N word I mm-hmm. wrote down. Yeah. Violence, blood, guns, crime. All his films seem to be revolving around some sort of criminal activity yeah i i really there was a link on the internet to this um this thesis about quentin tarantino's use of the accident as like a narrative 
device. And I, the, I couldn't read the whole thesis because it wasn't available for free. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, but it seemed to be saying something like the fact that a lot of the plot comes out of an accident. In this one or all of them? I think in a lot of his films, it's all about accidents. Well, this one, obviously... The heist goes wrong. The heist goes wrong. Yeah. Pop Fiction has... Well, we'll find out next episode. But, yeah. Um, someone gets shot in the face yeah. by accident. Oh, yeah. Jackie Brown? Uh... I guess we'll find out when we mm, do the episode. Think about that one. Yeah. We'll come back to that. Yeah, it's we'll quite... Come back it's, to that. It's an interesting idea, though. So, the the accident thief-it. thesis? Thesis. The accident thesis. Yeah. Cool pop music in yeah. Tarantino's grammar, obviously. That, he, has um, a, he just has an ear for oh picking God. out the right songs. He Just a zeitgeist, and I don't know how he does it. He's like the cool version of... Um, uh, Richard Curtis. You know, Richard Curtis loves going through all his, his archives to pick the perfect music for his films. I would say Richard Curtis is, is more racist than Quentin Tarantino because <laughs> at least Quentin Tarantino has black people in his films. Uh... So that was Reservoir Dogs directed by Quentin Tarantino. Joshua, give us a clue as to the next film it's the film that tarantino won his first academy award for head on to spotify apple podcasts acast and tune in subscribe so you don't miss an episode and come on over to twitter join us at torn stubs pod let us know what you think about quentin tarantino and reservoir dogs we're off to be okay (laughs) until next time i remain robert gershenson i'm joshua winning cut Green